0: A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. From London, this is The Economist. Before Donald Trump, there was Patrick Buchanan. A generation ago, Mr Buchanan, a top advisor to Richard Nixon and Ronald Reagan, ran for the presidency as a populist firebrand, demanding a fortified border, less free trade, and an America-first foreign policy. Our Washington bureau chief and Lexington columnist David Rennie recently interviewed Mr Buchanan and found him full of advice for Mr Trump, but unsure that hard-right populism can win in today's America.
1: Trump and Cruz, are put in something of a similar kind of moment, although they're very different people. I think they're appealing in some ways to similar kind of camps. Yeah, they are.
2: They've are. They got more together. They've got more than half the Republican yeah. Party now. And one of the reasons they do, if you're talking about uh, trade issue on the border and the immigration issues, those were the two issues I hit in 1990 mm-hmm. and 91, which were different, and the foreign policy issue that were different from George Bush Sr., who was in the White House. Uh, those issues are mature now for the reason that... Uh, the returns have come in for these trade deals and what you've got is uh, something like eleven or twelve trillion dollars in trade deficits and the loss of more than a third of America's manufacturing jobs and in the first decade of this century 55,000 factories have shut down.
1: So do you think that you were just ahead of your time now
2: when you look but at it? I think that? I, clearly that we, uh, uh, if you take the again go, let's go to the three major issues secure the border Mm-hmm. Uh, build a fence on the border when that was 1991. We were down in San Diego. And Duncan Hunter, the father of the present congressman, he took me down to the border and he said, there are 5,000 people walking into the country every weekend. They move off these small poor houses in Mexico into the small houses in the United States every weekend, 5,000. So we got to have a security fence. And they did build one eventually for about 11 miles And uh, that worked, and then they moved to Arizona. uh, The illegals, but the point is, the uh, the issue of illegal immigration is now a huge issue, much larger than it was then. And one of the reasons is the neglect, in the very fact that the Republican Party uh, under George Bush, George Bush's son, did nothing. The same with the trade issue. The as I say, the. uh, Trade deals, you've had NAFTA, GATT, WTO, and what the consequences are in. And in foreign policy, uh, the interventionists. Interventionism hasn't worked. It's left us with ashes in our mouths.
1: Let's take that kind of issue by issue. So, on the border, a counter argument, which I suspect the economists would make, is actually the Republicans didn't do nothing and the Democrats haven't done nothing. We're still deporting. Mm-hmm. large numbers of people we spend incredible amounts.
2: Well, you read every I mean you read uh, about ten thousand children, twenty thousand children coming in. Mm-hmm. But the point is there are about three million illegal aliens in the country, I believe. but the point is you go out here to Virginia. People see them in their communities now, all through the south and uh, in various parts of the country, large in what seemed to be somewhat indigestible clumps of immigrants illegal aliens many of them illegal aliens and people want to halt to it and this is a blazing issue now it is far more of a blazing issue than it was in 1991 when i first raised it but that's where the immigration issue that has matured and it is now it is one of the major issues in the country it is driving the trump campaign and the trade issue of course has got to do with the loss of jobs the arrest of the the what Americans thought of as the steady rise in the income, real incomes of the middle class in the United States and the working class. That's all stopped. And the United States really it's manufacturing what are we down to seven or eight percent of mm-hmm. GDP? It's had a dramatic effect on working people and the white working class especially. Because these were the jobs that brought them, I mean, when I was growing up, the guys that went and got jobs in factories and things, I mean, at 18, getting out of school, they got married at 26. They had a nice little house or something like that. You know, it's uh, Mark Russell. said, the American dream, a house and then the
1: boat. I was recently at a Trump uh, mm-hmm. focus group mm-hmm. run by Frank Luntz, and he had a bunch of right. keen 50 or so Trump supporters. And what really struck me was... The, the real, the, the, the most ferocious things that they said were about Barack Obama and about how one woman said, and it really stuck with me, she said, everything that we in America are good at, he tells us is bad, and we should feel bad about it, and I'm sick and tired of being kind of lectured by him. Mm-hmm. And that struck me as kind of resonating with me that this is about more than just, because you know, you can talk about the green shade stuff about stagnating right. incomes. But isn't it also about what makes you? If you were one of those high school mm-hmm. sort of diploma guys who goes and gets a good job in a factory, you look after your family, you buy an enormous truck, you, you get guns to keep your family safe, mm-hmm. and it's not just the economics. It's also then now you're told you're a bad person because that truck is harming the environment and your gun is actually right. a dangerous thing. Is it partly about identity as well? Is that?
2: I think if, you know, if there's a phrase that you'll see here repeated constantly about my folks. It is, this isn't the country I grew up in. We're losing our national identity. It is also the the social, cultural changes that date to the 1960s that have been extraordinarily dramatic. Uh, I think that adds to it. The the loss of jobs adds to it. Uh, The sense that we don't even control our borders anymore. And Anybody, especially in my age, that grew up in the 50s and where you're at now, we feel like we're in another country now, and far more so for those folks who were settled in their communities, you know, and you take a look at that famous statement Obama made in San Francisco to that closed-door meeting, mm-hmm. uh, and he was talking about people in middle Pennsylvania, which is where my mom grew up, in, Shulroy, in the Mon, in the Mon Valley, right on the river, and... It's though, he said you know they cling to their bibles and their guns and their their antipathy to people who aren't like them, and that really stuck, and I think that that's the way they see him they see Obama as something you know with due respect as as a man of alien values and beliefs and and his idea of America is not their idea of America, and they feel intensely alienated from this. From the, from the president, and, and frankly from what they're doing, what we're doing. It's very, you got all, you can add in there the perception that Americans, you know, that Americans, Was it, the last four or five wars, we've won one of them outright, you know. The Iraq war, of 1991, desert storm. And you take a look at what happened after Vietnam and what's happened and what's going on over there in Afghanistan and in Iraq and in Libya. All of these things, I think, come together. What Trump seems to appears to offer is, you know, I'm a guy that builds things and fixes things, and these people can't do anything right that are down there in Washington, and I can. It's a very, it's a very compelling argument that goes beyond the intellectual, as you said.
1: You would argue the world is coming your way because... Mm-hmm. Trade and and, and the border—you have more more and more people on the Republican time, side. That time is coming,
2: gone. So, there's no doubt about so it.
1: Sharing your issues, but the demographics are going against you, and the white working class is not. Is it's not, not only in the, the
2: demographics are going against you. A lot of the uh, the so-called social cultural revolution of the 1960s—it has captured the culture. And it has uh, captured Hollywood, it's captured much of the media, uh, it's captured the intellectual community. Uh, Bill Clinton could never have been elected, given all his problems with all the women and the rest of it, uh, before 92. And so I think now, basically, we've lost the culture, there's no question about it. And you take states like California, where Nixon won it every time he ran, except when he you know, won five national tickets and lost it for governor, mm-hmm. and he, I think he won the biggest landslide in history in 1950 for Senate, Reagan won four landslides, two for governor and two for president. We can't win California. Mm-hmm. We can't win. The white population is down well below 50%, and it's falling. The Hispanic population, the Asian population are very, very large, black populations are very small, only around 6%. So the, the country has changed, that's undeniable. Which, you, I mean, you're not going to win 49 states the way we did twice. Mm-hmm. Because, you're right, time has moved on.
1: So now let's talk about foreign policy. So it electrified me to hear, uh, as someone who's kind of obsessed with the history of the 1930s and the whole mm-hmm. America First movement, to hear... Cruz. Senator Cruz used the words America First in that last Republican debate. I wonder if
2: he's aware. That, that I, I really, wonder if he's aware. Do you think he's he's aware, a smart guy. He's a yeah, smart guy. You have guy. to assume, yeah. I, I agree with you. He's got to know all the, the freight and the baggage mm-hmm. the term carries. And all politically from my campaigns, you know, people he's America First, it's mm-hmm. Charles Lindbergh, etc. But But I think he realizes, and there is a measure that he is very much in line with some of the arguments we made, which was, look, uh, we can't send troops and armies all over the world to solve these problems and intervene in all these conflicts. Mm-hmm. And he said he, he took the position basically that uh, that he didn't want American, didn't want American troops, I believe, in Syria. And and Trump says, you know, with the you know the he said about the Russians, of course. Uh, If they want to bomb ISIS, that's fine with me. And the the two of them and Rand Paul have make the argument that Assad is not the problem. Intervening to take him down is a mistake because the winner would be the real terrorists who are anti-us, who are ISIS. And the other part of the establishment, however, is, and I think it's incoherent, we talk about defeating both ISIS. And bringing down Assad, and who do they think is going to take power? So I think there, there is a there is a bifurcation there, you know. And, I, and 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 Cruz is on the same line there as Trump.
1: But do you think that maybe in before we had, well, there's always been air power, but air power is so sort of potent in the public's mind now that non-interventionism you can have a kind of muscular armed oh, non-interventionism now because you can, you can talk tough by promising to bomb from a distance without putting any troops in. Does that make sure. non-interventionism more viable certainly. than in your day?
2: Well, look, I mean, certainly. In, in places like Syria and Iraq, if you're bombing ISIS, if you're bombing Al-Qaeda, or you're bombing terrorist camps or something in Libya, the American people will support that undeniably. But I think if, once you get to the issue of ground troops and a ground army, and how long are we going to be there, and how, you know, and what they're going to accomplish. And people start, I think the recoil begins, and I think all of these candidates know that. And I think overall, the whole idea of, of interventionism, you know, in the United States, as the policeman of the world, the United States as the policeman of the world is not a winning argument today at all.
1: You have an understanding of the anger of Trump supporters' cruise supporters, do you think that the world, and this feeling of, I don't recognize this America anymore, I don't want these foreigners mm-hmm. here, do you think that it is possible for them to have their wishes satisfied? Well, I, I do. just don't think you can reverse these forces and give them the country that they Oh, I domestically,
2: mean, no, you can't, I mean, the America I grew up in is gone.
1: Would it be fair to summarize you as saying that on, on a bunch of these issues you feel the evidence is coming your way, that the foreign well, policy think, is coming your way, but, but the, you're, not, you're not celebrating that because you think it may be...
2: When you take a look at the world, the way it's moving, and you take a look at Europe, I don't see that stopping the invasion, what is the invasion of Europe at all. And I think the desire and demand to get into the United States... Is going to continue and it's going to grow. You see all of these countries that seem to be increasingly failed countries or failed regimes all over the world.
0: That was David Rennie, our Washington Bureau chief and Lexington columnist, talking with Pat Buchanan. You can read more on our Lexington column in this week's edition of The Economist. From London, this is The Economist. The Economist.